0: Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Our text for our sermon is John chapter 4, verses 5 through 26. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the piece of land Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Then Jesus, being tired from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying, to you give me a drink? You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, she said, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his animals. Jesus answered her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I will give him will never be thirsty ever again. Rather, the water I will give him will become in him a spring of water bubbling up to eternal life. Sir, give me this water, the woman said to him, so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus told her, Go, call your husband and come back here. I have no husband, the woman answered. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say, I have no husband. In fact, you have had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews insist that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will not worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, because salvation is from the Jews. But a time is coming, and is now here, when the real worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for those are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, the one called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus said to her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. This is the gospel of our Lord. Do you realize how much of our sermon text applies to our doing evangelism today? You see, the Samaritans, 650 years before Jesus Christ was born, roughly rounding around, were people who the northern kingdom of Israel had continually chased after Baal. That's why God sent Elijah and Elisha. And finally, God says, enough. And he lifts his hand of protection, allows the Assyrians to come in, and they wipe it out. Basically, they haul the Jewish people off, and they leave behind the poorest people, but they import in people from the Medeo-Persian kingdom. And they intermix with the people and they invent their own religion. This is the Samaritan religion. They only accept the first five books of the Bible. How many people today live in America who have a Christian-like religiosity because they've had contact with it yet are in a false religion? How many people today are in homegrown cults that, like the Samaritan religion, are based on portions of the Bible, but they miss it. They miss the salvation by grace. Even more so, when Jesus asks the woman for a drink, she asks that question, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? You Jews look down your nose at us. And how often is it when you talk to people who are unchurched, who are unbelievers, who resent the fact that so many Christians come to them and seem to just look down their nose at them. You sinner, awful human being. As the Jews would have nothing to do with Samaritans, many times they've been given the impression, we'll have nothing to do with you. And so today's account is very important because it really applies to our culture as well as we see a way to do evangelism, but we got to be careful. We're not Christ. He could read minds and he did do that with this woman. One other side note, very important note for our sermon. Jesus refers to himself as the living water. At this time in history, living water is what you and I would call running water. Now, if you have stagnant water, such as what's in the well that Jacob had dug several thousand years earlier, well, that water can get bacteria and stuff like that. But you have less chance, you can still get things like Giardia, but you have less chance of getting that from flowing water because it's being stirred, so you don't get some of the bacteria and stuff settling in. So that water was less dangerous, hence living water. Jesus is talking metaphorically. He's using an earthly need to share a spiritual need. So today, as we see that Jesus is the living water, our sermon theme is, the living water flows to the unclean. And we see that he creates a thirst, and then we see he bubbles up into eternal life. And so, after we're being told that the Jews don't have social dealings with the Samaritans, and there's already a warning for us. See, God had given fellowship laws to the Jews, and those laws were designed to keep their true religion, the word of God, from being infected with false teaching, but they were not meant to keep the Jewish people from reaching out to those who had been infected with false teaching, to those who didn't know the true religion. They were not meant to keep them from doing evangelism with them. And sadly, in the sinful nature, the Jews screwed this up. They had nothing to do with the other people, which was protecting them, but then they also didn't reach out to them either, which just made them people who look down their nose. Jesus replied to her, if you had perceived the gift of God and the one who is saying to you, give to me in order that I may drink, then you would have asked him and he would have given you water, which is living. The woman said to Jesus, sir, you do not even have a bucket and this cistern is deep. Therefore, from where do you have this water, which is living? You are not greater than our father, namely Jacob, who gave to us this cistern and he drank from it and his sons and his cattle. She expects a no answer. Jacob. This is, you know, it goes, Abraham has Isaac, Isaac has Jacob, and then the promise of the Messiah gets passed on through Judah, etc. Something big's going on. This well was further out of town. If historians are correct, there was a well that was out of town on the opposite direction that was a little closer this well was deep. Every time she's lowering the bucket, about 150 feet of rope, she's pulling up, fill it into her water jar, dump it down, start over again, make the long trek back into town. You're not greater than Jacob, are you? He dug this well. You're telling me you've got better water? And you don't even have a bucket? What's going on? Brothers and sisters in Christ, do you see? Jesus takes an earthly need. And he begins to pique her interest, leading her towards a spiritual need. Let's not kid ourselves, brothers and sisters in Christ. In our society today, we are the wealthiest people in human history. The richest people at the time of Christ did not have the luxuries of flipping a switch and having heat and air conditioning, of hitting the ignition switch on a car and driving, and driving miles and in minutes. They would think you were the wealthiest people. And yet, amazingly, today, we are the most stressed out and most anxiety-driven people. People who lived through awful wars handled them better than you and I do. But you and I have the living water. And when our neighbors, when our friends, when our delinquent Christian brothers and sisters in Christ have the anxieties of life that come upon them, oh, if the car breaks down, I can't get to work. If I can't get to work, I can't make a paycheck. Oh, this disease, it's going to be really hard. The cure is sometimes worse than the disease. Let me tell you about the living water. And the water's living because it flows to us You and I have the privilege of being people through whom it flows. So he's piqued our interest. And we have something better, just as Jesus truly had something better. Something better than the daily repetition, the daily grind of trying to provide for our bodily needs. Jesus replied to her, everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. Yet whoever drinks from the water that I myself will give to him, then that person will most certainly never thirst again forever. But the water that I will give to him will become in him a well of water, which is bubbling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this very water so that I won't have to keep on being thirsty and I won't have to keep on coming back here to draw water. What is the meaning of life? If you ask most people, they're not prepared to answer it. But if you look at their lives, you'll find out that they seem to think their existence is to keep shelter over their head, clothes on their back, and food on their stomach. And this causes a lot of anxiety. Isn't it nice to say there is a cure for this? There is a cure which removes the anxiety. There's a cure that says no matter what happens in this life, God has you. Right now, the world is in panic over the coronavirus. Brothers and sisters in Christ, everything aside, if the coronavirus were to strike my household and it would be sad if I were to lose my family, I would miss them. But I have a joy that removes all that anxiety. My family has the living water. I will see them again in heaven. If it takes my life, who's going to provide for my family? I have a joy in knowing God is ruling over all history and time and has a plan for me and my family because we have the living water. The repetition of life is suddenly broke up. Life suddenly has a meaning. God created you to redeem you and love you and when you have that, He uses you to pass that living water. He uses you to pass His love and show it onto others because you have received it yourself. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus creates a thirst. Wouldn't you like to be free of the burdens of this world? Wouldn't you like to see the world from the right perspective? But in order to truly create the thirst, he has to show her why she needs a savior. And to do that, he has to point out her sin. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman replied to Jesus, I do not have a husband. Jesus said to her, you spoke well, I don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now we're not told why this woman went through five husbands. And thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. The commandment tells us we put the best regard on this. It could very well be in these times she had married five men and they had died. It could very well be that she was a great spouse, but these men had cheated on her and had abandoned her. It could also be that she was very hard to live with. It could be all of those combined into one. But brothers and sisters in Christ, the sin she has now that Jesus is dealing with is that she's shacking up. God had said the marriage bed must be kept pure. And and, and he wants to bless marriage. She had the first five books of the Bible. The Samaritans believed in those. And brothers and sisters in Christ, she may very well have a good excuse by human standards If all five of her husbands had died, I must have a curse about me. I'm not going to seal this man's fate. If she'd been the victim of abuse at even one or two of those husbands' hands, it might be, I want to put myself in a situation where I can get out the door. Or maybe she's been very hard to live with and she just says, I'm not going to go through that divorce thing again. Divorce is ugly, it's messy. But Jesus points out her sin to her. When you finally recognize your sin, you finally recognize you're dead. That's when you're ready. That's when the thirst is there to drink down and sip and gulp from the living water. Now, I have seen as a pastor, when I have come to people to address their sins, there's several ways in which they can react. The first is to just deny it. In which case, they're either lying to themselves about it or they're lying to everyone else. The second is to become indignant. How dare you? How dare you address my sin? I'm dragging myself straight to hell in your sin, but somebody else didn't put an extra 50 cents in the plate. You should be going after them. How dare you? But another one is to confess. Oh, what a rotten sinner I am. I pray the Lord forgive me. And the last way I've often seen is the dodge. Is that a rabbit over there? And then duck out of there, right? It seems like this woman is dodging. That's what it seems like. But brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus has just read her mind. He has just told her something no one in His position could know unless God had revealed it to Him. Wow! Overwhelmed now. Jesus doesn't just show her her sin, but He shows her He is from God. He actually is showing her He is God. So the woman begins to have that water bubble up in her, that living water, she said to Jesus, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. You're clearly from God. You have the word of God. Otherwise, you could not read my mind. Now, there's a major difference between the Samaritans and the Jews. The Samaritans worship on Mount Gerizim. So let's, let's combine this and find out which one of these religions is true, since you're a prophet from God. So she says... Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and yet you people, that's the Jews, continue saying that the place where it's necessary to worship continues being in Jerusalem. The living water has bubbled up in her, and now her heart is open up, and she says, what's the true religion? People today, as I already mentioned, they have a religiosity. And they pick and choose what they want to believe. And it never dawns on them, if you're making up a religion, you're doing just that. You're making your God. And if you can make a God, it is no God. Lord, you're a prophet. Straighten me out, please, sir. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You yourselves keep on worshiping what you have not perceived. We ourselves, that's the Jews, continue worshiping what we have perceived since salvation is out of the Jews. It's out of the Jews because they had the Word of God. The Pharisees had screwed it up. The Sadducees had screwed it up. But they had the inspired Word of God. The Samaritans had rejected it. They only took the first five books of the Bible and they had to do some dancing with those as well. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the sphere of spirit and truth. Now you've often heard me say we have to pay attention to the prepositions in the Bible. And this is that preposition hen which says there's a fence. Anything inside that fence is it. Anything outside of it is wrong. And here he says spirit and truth. And he continues, for those are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and it's necessary for those who continue worshiping him to keep on worshiping in the sphere of spirit and truth. Now, what he means by spirit, we have to understand. When the Holy Spirit comes and creates faith in our heart, how does he do it? He does it through the word of God. And the word of God is truth. The devil has come to us and made us believe lies. Lies like your righteousness saves you. You follow the right laws and then you'll be saved. Instead of Jesus saves you, the Holy Spirit has worked through that message and connected you to it. God's word never gives us permission to teach it falsely. It never gives us permission to monkey with it. But people associate worship with places, the temple. The temple was pointing to the fact that the wages of sin is death and that the Lamb of God, the unblemished, the perfect sacrifice, God himself, the Messiah would come and Christ had come. And the temple is about to become obsolete because Christ is two and a half years roughly away from giving that sacrifice of his life in rising again. You and I do not have to go to Jerusalem to worship God. That location no longer has any modern significance. It's the place where the Savior was crucified. Locations don't matter. Formalism don't matter. God makes it clear He wants us to come together and He wants us to encourage each other, but He wants it to be in spirit and truth. And that is when we come knowing we're sinners to have our sins removed by entrusting them to the Lord and knowing the truth that Jesus, true God, has removed our sin. Too often we start talking about the kind of worship we want and the kind of sermons we want and... Who is the God that's being worshipped? This is what I want. We're making ourselves God. We have to be very careful. God has given us freedom. We don't have to worship on Sunday. We can gather together to worship Wednesday at midnight if that worked for us. We could gather together any place we want to because Christ is what it's all about, and we worship in spirit and truth. And when you understand what that means, Jesus has truly, the water of life has bubbled up into eternal life, and we keep coming, we keep confessing our sins to God, and God keeps telling us, I've removed them, and He keeps us strong in that faith, that Holy Spirit working through that very message. The woman said to Jesus, I have perceived that the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. Whenever he should come, that one will most certainly thoroughly declare to us all things. Jesus has just rung her bell. Everything she grew up, the real worship is up there on Mount Gerizim and everything. He says, that doesn't even matter. The time is coming and is now here. I'm going to abolish all that. Oh, okay, that's a lot to take in. But when the Messiah comes, he'll straighten it all out. Her heart has been thoroughly prepared. The living water has sent the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said to her, I, the one speaking to you, am He. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it's not part of our lesson today, but the rest of the story goes like this. The Holy Spirit's in her heart and she runs through town, an excited evangelist, come see the man who told me everything I've ever thought. This is the Messiah. Jesus came specifically for the Israelites who were then to reach out to the non-Israelites. But the town asks him to stay. And he stays for two days before he continues on going up to Capernaum to reach out to the Jews. He bubbled into this woman as living water. She shared that living water immediately in excitement. And just like he does in our lives, people today, there was a lot of Christianity in America, but it's just become a religiosity. We have cults based on Christianity. People are confused and they're inventing their own God. And we see just like her sin, that's one of the sins that's very common to us today. To thumb our nose what God has said about marriage. But the living water flows to the unclean. It's flowed to you and I who were unclean. It's made us clean and we get to share it. We see He creates a thirst. He shows that we need Him. His law shows that we need a Savior. And then He bubbles up into eternal life and we overflow with it and we share it with our family, our friends, our neighbors, and even with strangers as God presents the opportunity. Because Jesus runs to us and flows through us, giving eternal life. Amen. Now may the God of hope fill you with complete joy and peace as you continue to believe so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.